The scripture from 1 John chapter 1. First John 1, I'm going to begin in verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. And I'll pray. Lord, I thank you again for your word, and we are really all only gathered, God, in the name of Jesus, that we might hear from you. And that our hearts would be inclined to you, God, for you to strongly support, to strengthen and encourage, and to work in us, God, of your good pleasure. So we thank you, God, for your ministry to us by your spirit and through your word. And I pray that we would receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we started with 1 John last week and saw that the theme of this book is fellowship with God. And fellowship is, um, on the one hand, it's, we know when we're fellowshipping, in a sense, we know when we aren't. Having said that, he's going to clarify some things for us, but it is a sweet birthright of the Christian to be in fellowship with God and to have fellowship with others, and it's a great joy. We don't always get it right, and we make mistakes. Um, John addresses some of those things here, but um, it's certainly in the, in the body of Christ better than anywhere else you would ever find to have fellowship. It is truly a gift and blessing from God. I remember at one of my high school reunions many years ago, um, I haven't been back to one in a long time, but I think it was maybe my 10-year reunion or something. Um, I went back down to Corpus and looked up some of my friends and, and my two closest friends um, in high school and junior high. One was a believer, a Christian, and the other is a Mormon. And, um, and I had um, a very good interaction with my Mormon friend. He wanted to talk about the Lord and what God was doing in his life and... and um, it was interesting to see this guy who, who does not have Christ in him, who has a, an understanding of Jesus that is not consistent with Scripture. If you don't know, the Mormons believe that Jesus was, came into this earth as only a man and that he later became God. And one of their doctrines is, as he was, so we are, as he is, so we shall be. So we're all going to become God's if you're a Mormon, like Jesus became a God. And so there's, their, their Christology um, is really off base. But he was so willing to talk about the Lord and how he was seeing God work in his life. I then went and talked to my, um, who had been my best friend, a Christian guy and lived down the street, and um, we spent countless hours together, and he was not walking with the Lord. And the last thing he wanted to do was to see somebody uh, who was reminding him just by showing up 
of um, where he had drifted from. And it was a very uncomfortable time. I loved my friend and was looking forward to being with him. And um, it, he was um, not warm, to say the least. I read this week that there's a Christian ministry, and there's several, I don't remember which one it is, but this particular Christian ministry is um, formed to help Christians share each other's uh, medical expenses. And there are a lot of Mormons who have bought into the program, and they don't agree with the doctrinal statement, but they, are, they call themselves Christians. And so this ministry is saying, please leave. Um, and they're saying, why would you tell us to leave? We are Christians. We ought to be able to fellowship with each other and participate in each other's medical expenses. You can see it can get complicated. So last week in introducing the subject of fellowship here, I, I want to just summarize some of the things that I said. And the very first thing that John um, noted is that for fellowship between Christians to take place, you first have to have a relationship with God. You must receive Christ, who is himself eternal life. That is the foundational basis for fellowship. And secondly, you have to walk in the light with God because God is light. And so if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, according to the truth of what Scripture says who Jesus is, and if you are not walking in the light with God, then you will not have fellowship with other Christians. Um, you may have good friendships. You may be able to enjoy a meal together. But what you're experiencing is not true fellowship as God intended it to be. And so one of the things that I left us with last week is that broken fellowship should not equate with severed relationship. If you don't have, a, have good fellowship with a Christian because you or he may not be walking in the light, fellowship can be broken. But that doesn't mean the relationship needs to be broken. There are occasions when fellowship needs to be broken in the form of church discipline. A person has to be told he cannot come to church and fellowship with the body of Christ. And we struggle with that because Paul said, I've already delivered this one man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And then he says, do not even eat with such a one. And yet, as we noted when we looked at 1 Corinthians a while back, when that appears to be the same man turned from his sin, Paul said, restore him to fellowship. The implication is, Paul knew that this man had repented, which means even though the fellowship had been broken, the relationship had not been severed. Somebody was keeping an eye on that guy and knew his heart had turned back to the Lord and the man has turned from his sin. In our relationship with Jesus, the reason I think this, is, this point is important, because in our relationship with Jesus, with God, that relationship can never be severed. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. All of our sin has been forgiven. So it is not possible for a Christian to have a severed but a Christian can have broken fellowship with God. And I believe that theology 
ought to be what informs our ethic when it comes to our relationship with each other. There should be nothing that has the power to break our relationship with each other in the body of Christ. But there will be and ought to be broken fellowship when there is sin. What that broken fellowship will look like will vary from, relation to rela- from relationship to relationship because no two relationships are the same. But there will be a difference whether we admit it or not. All Christians have a relationship with God, but not all Christians have fellowship with God. All Christians should have a relationship with each other, not complete severance. All Christians will not have fellowship with each other. Only sin, walking in the darkness, breaks fellowship with God. Only sin should break fellowship with other Christians. And by the way, false teaching, heresy, knowingly held to, is sin. And that's one of the things that John addresses in this book. If people are denying the humanity of Jesus Christ, a particular problem that was happening when, when John wrote 1 John, then he says, That is heresy. That is a lie. You cannot fellowship around a lie. Sin will affect the relationship. That cannot be avoided on the spiritual level. And sin should affect fellowship. It will affect the relationship, and it should affect fellowship. I was told of a conversation recently that two people had with a young man who um, professes faith in Christ um, and has come out publicly as being homosexual. And so these two people met with him, his friends. They don't have a chance to see him, live in different places. And so they got together when they were in the same location, went out to dinner and talked and talked about his profession of being homosexual. And they had... um, an amiable time. They were able to talk openly, talk without anger, talk in love. And the guy said, this is so great to know that everything is good between us. And the young couple had to correct it and said, everything is not good between us. We love you. We love you and we're going to continue to pray for you and we care for you. But do not think that everything is going to be the same because this is sin. And yes, we will love you. And yes, we will not sever the relationship with you. But don't think the fellowship is going to be the same as what it's been. And when it is the same, we are lying against the truth. See, that's the point John's coming to with this. When we act as though there is not a problem, when God says there is a problem, we are lying against the truth. So sin does affect the relationship, and it should affect fellowship. On a spiritual level with God and with each other, sin always causes broken fellowship. We may not be acting like it. Maybe that's because we've forgotten what real fellowship looks like. But on a spiritual level, sin always causes broken fellowship. On the relational level, sin should result in broken fellowship. Again, I'm not saying that that means you stop talking to the person, you never see the person, but something should change in the relationship. So let's move on. Having 
and this is basically just a review, things I've just said of what we talked about, um, or talked around at least last week. And now in verse 5, he says, And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Theological proclamation. He, might, he could have just as well said God is holy, and there is no sin in him. Same type of thing, he's just using a metaphor for light. Where there is light, there is no darkness. Where there is holiness, there is no sin. There is no sin, no darkness in him. Some people, um, in, in walking through life, have a hard time distinguishing um, and, and basically will refer to themselves as people who see world in, in gray tones. Um, other people see the world in black and white tones. I'm more of a black and white person. That doesn't surprise you all if you've been around me at all. Um, and that's not always good. Because there are times when, when uh, a black and white person can portray himself as being more certain about something than he has room to be certain. Because there are things we just can't be sure about. But this I know. God is not a God of grace. God is black and white. There is no darkness with him. There is no, as James says, shifting shadow with God. There are no shadows with God. It is blazing light with God. And you and I may not be sure and maybe should not be sure about certain things. But there is nothing God is uncertain about. Nothing God is unclear on. Everything is crystal clear for us. God does not know what a moral dilemma is. You and I have faced many moral dilemmas. And the reason is simply because we don't have all the information, maybe. God has perfect knowledge. And there is no moral dilemma with God, ever. And that is what John is getting at here. God is light, blazing light. There are no shadows, no darkness in the presence of God. That being the case, there are three things that we cannot say as a Christian. Number one is in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, that doesn't help fellowship a whole lot. I mean, how, I mean think what, Paul, what John's saying here. I mean, if, if I walked up to you this morning and said, you know, I just heard you say, I just want you to know that is a lie. Let's go have lunch together today and just fellowship together. Why don't you come over and watch the football game this afternoon? You're going, why would I want to be with you? You just called me a liar. That's what John's doing here. And again, this is the truth. And he's going he's to work down and to say, if we confess our sins, and what is confession of sins? It's agreeing with God. And see, God is, is he doesn't hedge I don't think that God is always tactful, you know, because he's not worried about offending us. The truth is the truth. You know, we always say, well, the truth hurts. No, it doesn't. Truth doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't have volition. Truth doesn't have choice. Truth just is. It's like saying rocks hurt. No, they don't. A rock can't hurt you. It's just there. The only time rocks hurt, it was somebody hits you with one right? Then you can say, that hurt. 
But it wasn't the rock itself. It was being hit by the rock that hurt you. The truth only hurts when you're on the wrong side of it. When you're on the right side of the truth, it doesn't hurt. So if you were to tell me that anybody who is under six foot tall is going to go to hell, well, I would say, I don't like that truth. That truth hurts me. Not that I think it's true. I would say anybody over 5'5 five five is going to go to hell. <laughs> but see, it, it only hurts, truth only hurts when you're on the wrong side of it. Truth itself doesn't hurt unless you're on the wrong side. Then it stinks. And so here John is going, and see, if, if the goal is truly fellowship, then sometimes you're willing to hurt. Because they're not going to move back away from their sin unless they efface it and agree with it, call it what it is, and move away from it. And so John says, if we have fellowship with God and walk in the dark, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie. There's no other way to say it. Because God is light. And when we're walking in knowing Darkness. We know we're walking in darkness. Don't say you're fellowshipping with God. That is a lie. He isn't saying don't say you aren't a Christian. Don't say you're a Christian. This is not about their faith. This is not about their position in Christ. He doesn't say anyone who claims to be a Christian and is walking in darkness is a liar. He doesn't say that. He's saying anyone who claims to fellowship with God, that's not the same thing as any saying anyone who claims to be saved. Two different things, okay? Now, we don't look like we're Christians. We're not advertising we're Christians when we're walking in sin. But it doesn't mean you're not saved when you're walking in darkness. But you are not fellowshipping with God. That we know. Don't say that you are. We lie and do not practice the truth or maybe apply the truth. The truth is God is light. And when I am walking in darkness, I am not applying the truth that I know about God. God is light. And the only way to fellowship with God is to walk in the light with him. So how can I say that I'm truly fellowshipping with you? When I know I'm walking in darkness with God. Impacts everything. Darkness, walking the darkness impacts my relationship with God. And it impacts my relationship with everyone else on this planet. There's no such thing as a private sin. It impacts everybody and everything. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This is where I was trying to get at last week, that it's not always in our control to have fellowship with another Christian. All I can control is my own fellowship with Jesus. And if I'm walking in the light with God, I have fellowship with God. And, and consequently, I will have fellowship with every other Christian who's walking in the light with God. I don't have to pray about it. It's going to happen that those who are walking in the light with God will fellowship with God and therefore will fellowship with each other. And so sometimes, if you watch Anne of Green Gables, she was always talking about that kindred spirit. 
I have found a truly kindred spirit. Well, that's not so far off from what Scripture is saying. When, when out, it, spiritually we are walking in fellowship with God, we will find a kindred spirit with everyone else who is walking in fellowship with God. Ian Thomas used to say, um, I heard him say years ago that at Cape and Ray Hall, the Bible school, Torchbearer Bible School in England, where they'd have 150, 180 students or so show up every year from all over the world. They'd have anywhere from 15 to 20 countries represented. And he said they would all be together on the first day, all gathered in one room. He'd stand and watch. And he'd say within minutes, within minutes, people from all over the world who've never met each other would find those who are like themselves. Maybe speak a different, country, different language, born in a different country, but within minutes, they would be drawn to those people that are like themselves. That's what happens. You expect that to happen. We will fellowship with those who are like-minded. And if you are walking with the Lord, not walking in darkness, you'll find those people. They will just be, you'll be drawn to them, and they will be drawn to you, and you just, it is the most precious fellowship that you could ever have. We have fellowship with one another. And not only that, but the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And the implication here is amazing, that, that you can be in fellowship with God and be actively being cleansed of your sin. So you may not even know that you are sinning, because a lot of times we don't know. God knows, because it's not always a conscious sin. It can be an unconscious thing. But as we walk in fellowship with God, we're not in conscious darkness. We're consciously walking in the light with Him. The blood of Jesus is continually cleansing us from sin. That's amazing. All sin. The blood of His Son cleanses us from all sin. So the first thing that we cannot say is that we are fellowshipping with God while we are walking in darkness. That is a lie. It is not the application of what we know to be true. Salvation is not being questioned, but fellowship is. The second thing we cannot say is in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin. Now, I'm not exactly sure what he means here. Because he says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned. Those are two different things. So if we say that we have no sin, it, it, it seems to imply that there's just no saying there's no sin in me. So maybe the doctrine of sinless perfection. Not many people believe that. There is one particular church denomination and they believe in the doctrine of sinless perfection. We used to have Many years ago at his hill, a lady on staff who came from that church denomination, and, and everybody on staff just loved kind of poking her and, and irritating her a little bit. And, just to, and then as she started to get a little riled, we go, kind of smile and say, careful, you might sin. <laughs> and you know, you can't, because you believe in sinless perfection. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Anyway... <laughs> So what does it mean if anyone says that he has no sin? Maybe, and this is not 
one of the options, but it, but it is possible in a particular matter, in a particular situation, to be without sin. It is. We can be totally innocent in any given particular situation. It would not be true to say that what John is trying to say is that in everything constantly we have sin. That there is never a moment when sin is not impacting what we do. I heard a man teach that in a theology course um, at a Bible college one time, telling all these students, I believe there is nothing that any Christian ever does that sin is not impacting what he does. In some way, sin at some level is impacting what he does. That's just not true. John's going to say in this very epistle that when you abide in Christ, you cannot sin. What about this book? Is there any sin in this book? No. But did sinners write it? Yeah. Forty different sinners wrote this book. And there's no sin in this book. So clearly we do not sin all the time. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 40 authors wrote this book, and, there, and all 40 authors were without sin in any respect as God used them to pen the words of this book. It is a holy book. It is without sin because of how God was working in those authors who were trusting and abiding in Him as they wrote it. So John is not saying that there's never a moment when we don't sin, or never a moment where sin is not influencing us. That is not the case. But if a person is somehow believing he has no sin in him, and I personally feel that I have many friends that hold to a one-nature view of Christian humanity, meaning that when you receive Christ, many of my friends believe that at that moment that you receive Christ, the sin nature in you is eradicated. You no longer have a sin nature. I personally don't believe that. I believe that you, re, you have the divine nature and you also have a sin nature. And they're constantly warring with each other. And I, that's where I believe Scripture goes. But I respect my friends that believe otherwise. And, but, but this I know. It, it, it sounds dangerously close to me of saying that I do not have a sin nature. And what John is saying, you better not say you are without sin. They're pretty close. My friends that believe in one nature would say they would never call themselves a sinner. They hate it when Christians say, I'm a sinner. And they go, no, you're a saint. You can't be a sinner and a saint. Well, I asked my wife about that. And, you know, and she, <laughs> I'm, I sin. And I think about where Paul said, he says, I am foremost among sinners. He didn't say I was foremost. He says, I am foremost among sinners. Is my identity in Christ sin? Sinner? No. My identity in Christ is child of God, saint. But you can be a saint and still be a sinner. Paul says that he was a Roman. 
He says he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I am a Jew. I am a Roman. And he also said, I am a saint. That's not schizophrenia. There's just different aspects to our identity. My main core identity is spiritual, and it is in Christ. I am a child of God. But that does not negate the fact that I am a Texan. I am an American Texan first. And (laughs) that I am a father. I am a husband. All these I am's are true of me. Are they my core identity? No. My core identity is that I am in Christ. So I don't see a problem with a Christian saying, I am a sinner. But I thank God that is not my identity. My identity is I am a child of God. And I kind of think that's where John's going with this. Don't say you have no sin. You're deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in us. Now, this is another thing, and, and Jack brought this out when he taught First John in our adult Sunday school class. And, and this is a, a very, very important observation to make in distinction from Paul's epistles. When Paul uses that in, and he says, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Paul uses it um, in the sense of actual location. Christ is located in you. That's not how John uses it. And so when you look at at the Gospel of John and here in 1 John and see how John uses the, the preposition in, he's using it as intimacy, as fellowship. And so he's not saying, you're again, he is not saying you are not a Christian if you claim there is no sin in you. He is saying the truth is not having its impact upon you. The truth is not influencing you. When he says the truth is not in you, the truth is not residing. The truth is not forming, shaping you. He's not saying you don't know the truth. He's not saying you haven't embraced the truth. He's just saying the truth isn't doing its work in you. Because God is light. That's truth. And if you're facing the truth, you will know there is sin in you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Praise God. Again, I have people in the one nature camp who would say that 1 John 1.9 is not for the Christian. Books have been written on this. They say that all, because a Christian's sins have all been forgiven, that there is no sin you need to forgive, that you need to confess. They say that when a Christian is using 1 John 1, 9, he's using it like a Catholic going to confessional. That part's true. Sometimes Christians use 1 John 1, 9 like a Catholic going to confessional. I've gone to confession, now I can do whatever I want. That's an abuse of the truth. All of our sin is forgiven in Christ, and all means all. It has all been paid for. Therefore, nothing will ever separate me from God's love. Nothing. This is not about, again, this confession is not for the restoring of the relationship. The relationship can't be severed. 
This confession is for the restoring of the fellowship. And we all know this. If you've ever had a roommate or ever had a family, (laughs) we sin against each other. And one of the most basic things you have to do is to recognize what you did and go to that person and ask for forgiveness. And the fellowship is restored. Not the relationship that was never severed, but the fellowship is restored. If we confess, it just means to agree with. To agree with who? God. God is saying, this is sin. Agree with God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. Faithful, because this is the kind of God he is. Righteous, because on the basis of the blood of Christ, that sin can be forgiven. Otherwise, it wouldn't be righteous. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The third thing we cannot say, we cannot say we have fellowship with God while walking in the darkness. We cannot say that there is no sin in us. And we cannot say that we have not sinned. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. I always think when I read that verse of Charles Price who said, and he wrote about it in one of his books, that after a conference preaching one time, this man came up to him and said, hey, I just want you to know I haven't sinned in, in I think he said, the last 10 years. And Charles going, really? He said, that's right. I've gone 10 years and have not sinned. So Charles goes, I find that fascinating. Is your wife here? And the guy says, yeah, she's here. Why? He goes, I want to talk to her. Why? I want to ask her. If she thinks you've gone 10 years without sinning, well, she'll tell you I haven't. Well, there you go. (laughs) See, if you can't listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to your wife. (laughs) You shouldn't have to listen to your wife. And I had a friend tell me, he says, Charlie, you know, this this person tells me that, you know, is is slamming you as being self-righteous. And so I said, well, you know, I, I talked to God about that. And you know what God told me? He said, I'm self-righteous. So why should I take offense? And in fact, if anybody ever accuses you of being self-righteous and you deny it, you know what you've just done? You've proved it. <laughs> it's one of those things you can't deny without proving it's true. So, so why get mad about it? And if you think you're not self-righteous, I got news for you. (laughs) You just proved yourself righteous. If anyone says that he has not sinned, I mean, again, you can see the self-righteousness here. He's a liar. He He makes God to be a liar. You know that parable where where there's two men standing at the temple praying, and one of them, I think it's a tax gatherer, and the other one's a Pharisee. And the tax gatherer standing there just beating his chest. Oh, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And the Pharisee standing there going, God, thank you. I'm not like that guy. <laughs> Remember the story? And if you read that story, Bill, Bush, Bill Bushhouse pointed this out to me. And I give credit where credit's due. If you read that story and go, I'm the guy who's beating his chest saying, God, have mercy upon me. It proves you're the other guy. It proves you're the Pharisee. 
Because see, who's the better of the two men in God's sight? The guy who's beating his chest. So if you read the story and think you're the guy beating your chest, you're the Pharisee. Because we're not the better. We're the worst of the two guys. We ought to read that story and go, I'm the Pharisee. I'm the guy standing out. Thank you, God, I'm not as bad as him. That's the truth of it. And, and self-righteousness is in us all. There's no sin in me. I haven't sinned. What does God say about that? There have been so many times in my life when I thought I had clean motives in what I did. I didn't do a bad thing. And I felt like my motives were good and right and honoring to God. Sometimes, weeks, months, even years later, the Lord would bring up that instant and show my motives to me. And show me. Yeah, you thought your heart was right. But God examines the heart. Scripture speaks to that. Every man thinks that his ways are clean in the eyes of God. But God examines. God examines. If we say that we have not sinned. Again, I'm not saying in every single situation we have sinned. That's not true. We can be totally innocent. We can be without sin in a particular situation. But most of the time, much of the time, there is sin. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And his word is not in us. Again, it's not having its way. God's word is not ruling us, shaping us, influencing us. Not saying we don't know the word. Just saying it's not having its way. I believe the next two verses flow straight out of this. Where Paul, Paul, keep, man, you can tell I spend too much time with Paul. John, he's told us we can't say we have fellowship with God while walking in the darkness. That is a lie. We cannot say we have no sin. That is self-deception. We cannot say that we have not sinned. That is calling God a liar when God says that we have sinned. And then chapter 2, verse 1, my little children. I am so glad those are the next three words. Because if we didn't have anything else, if all we had was John, 1 John chapter 1, short little epistle, end of the lesson, end of the story, we would think that you can't be a Christian and make any of these three claims. But that's not the case. The next three letters, words, my little children. John is not questioning the salvation of these people. He's sure they are saved. And yet the truth is not having its way. And God's word is not having its way. They're calling God a liar, making him a liar. Self-deceived, but they're still Christians. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, great promise. We have an advocate with the Father Jesus, the righteous. What a title. I don't know about your Bibles, but mine, the New American Standard, righteous is not capitalized. I think it should be. Jesus, the righteous. You know, sometimes we have to go find a lawyer. Something comes up, you need a lawyer, you need his advice, maybe you need his representation. 
And in a, in a case of having to go to court, you need an advocate. An advocate is somebody who's going to stand up for you. We happen to have a very good lawyer on our uh, board at His Hill, and, um, and I, I thank God for him. And I just think, man, if I ever had to go to court, I would love to have this guy as my advocate. I would feel sorry for the opponent, maybe. Um, good advocate. I've never been to his office, but as good as an advocate as he is, he has doctors and others from around the state and out of the state that, that call on him to, to represent them, to, to advocate for them um, because of different lawsuits. He is a fine, fine advocate. Never been to his office, but I doubt it says on the door, Bill, the best. <laughs> his name's Bill. And I doubt it says, Bill, the very best. But if Jesus has an office, on his, his it would say advocate, the righteous. Well, that says cuts two ways. That means this other, the, 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 the plaintiff, the guy that's suing us or whatever, he's not going to get away with anything. But neither are you. He's the righteous. He is not going to favor you outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a lawyer. Yes, he's going to defend you, and you're going to come out on the other side because you have been covered by the blood of Christ. But he's not going to whitewash, as it were, our sin. This is a lawyer who's going to say, I'm going to stand before you, and I'm going to defend you tooth and nail, and you're going to come out of this okay. But what were you thinking? You see, he talks to us. He is the righteous advocate. And I thank God. Righteous advocate means he's going to present me righteous because of his blood. But it also means he's going to deal with me in righteousness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We do. Look at verse 2. And he himself... So the himself is being emphasized. Doesn't need, it's, it's added for emphasis. Could have just said, he is the propitiation for our sins. But it's added himself for emphasis. He himself. He himself. Not something he did. This is why I think it's so important for us as Christians to remember, our faith is not in what Jesus did. He died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Our faith is in Jesus, who did something. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. But my faith is not in what he did. My faith is in him. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not just for ours, but for those of the whole world. Propitiation is just that great big word that sounds like you're spitting when you say it. I am. Watch out, front row. Get your umbrellas out. <laughs> It means satisfaction, that the just demands of God, the righteousness of God. See, I thought I had three more minutes, but then hear the horns going out there. The, the just demands of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God has been satisfied. So God is favorably disposed toward us because all of our sin has been taken care of, and God has been propitiated. And you can say that to any person in the world. 
I truly believe this. You can walk up to any person in the world and say to them, Jesus has fully met the demands of God on your behalf. All of your sin, your sin, has been paid for. And God is satisfied. Will you receive the gift that's being offered to you? There's nothing you need to do because God has been satisfied. If there is anything you needed to do, then God's not satisfied. But He is completely, 100% satisfied in Jesus. So all you have to do is say, thank you, God, and receive the gift of eternal life that He's offering to you in Jesus. Praise God. Even though He is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world, though, make no mistake, He is not the advocate for the whole world. The only people he advocates for are those who have placed their faith in Christ. He is our advocate. He is the propitiation for the whole world. You can have your sins forgiven and not have Jesus stand at your right hand. Before the throne of God, he'll actually be, you'll be at his right hand. And stand at the throne of God and have Jesus say, God, he's one of us. He has received me. He has been, the forgiveness has been applied to him because he has received me. There is nothing Satan has on this man. Nothing. Because not only has the sin been forgiven, but he has received what has been offered to him. He's ours. And we step into the presence of God. Propitiation for all. Advocate for some. All of this so that we would walk in fellowship with God. And not sin. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? What good news. We can walk in fellowship with God. And not sin. I'll close this in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your word, for the encouragement that it is. It convicts, challenges, corrects. But it also, God, just gives life to us. Thank you for the privilege of fellowship with you. I pray we would cherish it. And I pray that we'd be a people who listen when you're pointing out sin in our lives and that we would be in quick agreement with you on what it is. Not arguing, not debating, questioning, just saying, yes, Lord. That we would come to the light and walk in the light that we might not sin. Thank you for your grace toward us in Jesus, who has both propitiated you in respect to all of our sin, and stands before you as our advocate. In Jesus' name, amen.